Baptist 21 is a pastor-led voice for Southern Baptists in the 21st century. The B21 podcast will discuss current issues in the SBC with Southern Baptist church leaders. To check out more resources, visit us at baptist21.com. Welcome to the Baptist 21 podcast, where we have conversations about what it means to be Baptist in the 21st century. Uh, and this week, we're going to hear from uh, a pastor named Aaron Minikoff. Aaron pastors at Mount Vernon Baptist Church in the Atlanta area. Aaron is no stranger to Baptist 21. He's been on the podcast before, uh, most recently talking about last year's SBC and giving reflections on that. He's also written some things for Baptist 21, in particular, a future vision for what Baptist associating uh, should look like. And Aaron thinks very well about uh, cooperation and associating. Uh, but this but this week's podcast, he will be talking about what it looks like to have a Second Timothy 2-2 ministry in the local church. To, what does it mean to to raise up leaders, raise up future pastors? We, we uh, love our Southern Baptist seminaries, uh, but we know that Southern Baptist seminaries are not trade schools, that ultimately the local church is the one who identifies and equips uh, and appoints pastors. And so he talks about how um, pastors and, and leaders can think through how to intentionally do that uh, in the local church. He gives a lot of really helpful, practical advice. He walks through Second Timothy 2 as well. Uh, so very, very helpful conversation as we think about uh, what does it look like to be multiplying churches that raise up uh, men who can, who can then be sent out to plant or revitalize churches. And so I think you'll be blessed by his talk uh, and uh, pray that it will be useful for you as you think through a Second Timothy 2 to ministry in your church. Um, and so thanks for listening to the Baptist 21 podcast. So much to say. Uh, if I'm intense, I'm at the right place, right? It's the pillar intensive. So that was a good, that was a good choice. Um, you know, one of the reasons, uh, one of the main reasons that Mount Vernon is part of pillar is because when Ken Rucker, uh, well, he was in the area, but, you know, I, I found out that he was part of pillar, but we, we had the Greater Atlanta Baptist Network, which is a, basically a, a local association here with a pastor's fellowship and uh, uh, New Branch wasn't part of the Greater Atlanta Baptist Network immediately, um, but I knew he was part of Pillar. But even though he was part of Pillar and Pillar organizes pastor's fellowships, Ken thought, well, he said to me, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. I'd be happy to join Gavin and be part of that. And that told me a lot about Pillar, that Pillar is trying to, you know, to get the job done and not, not, not caring so much about branding. And that made me want to join and become a part of Pillar. Um, so thank you for that example. Uh, I'm really, really grateful for that. Thank you guys for being here tonight, and what a joy to, to see you. Um, let the record show that uh, the first point of Bobby Jamison's talk is stop using the word call. And let the record show that the title of my talk is Catching the Call. So I'm not going to be here tomorrow to be rebuked by the New Testament scholar, um, yeah, but, 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 but here we go. Uh, I find it really interesting that in 1 Timothy chapter 1, uh, Paul makes mention of Hymenaeus and Alexander. Verse 18, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that 
By them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith in a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. I don't know that Alexander and Hymenaeus were, were church leaders. I don't know exactly uh, what positions they held. But I'm struck that most of us have served in ministry long enough to encounter competent, fruitful men who made a shipwreck of their faith. And so, in, in, you know, Paul mentions that, but lo and behold, we get to 2 Timothy chapter 2, not chapter 4, we get to 2 Timothy chapter 2, and uh, the, the reality of men falling away from the faith, the reality of investing in, in men who don't end up being either faithful or fruitful, didn't seem to jade Paul, who went on to exhort Timothy, uh, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul clearly devoted his life not only to seeing the gospel planted and churches planted by God, but he devoted his life to seeing young men raised up in the faith that they might be, by God's grace, both faithful and, should the Lord permit, fruitful. A few words about this passage. Calvin said, John Calvin said, that to be strengthened means to, to shake off laziness. To shake off laziness is how Calvin put it. So, though, though God is the one who strengthens, he's the strengthener, the exhortation is to be strengthened. There is a, a sense in which energy is demanded upon the part of us to, to, to be strengthened. We're actively to lay hold of the strength that's found in Christ as we intentionally respond in obedience to, to God's word. So that's the exhortation that he begins with. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What you have heard from me, the message that Timothy heard from Paul is, is simply the word. It's the word. It's the, the message of the Lord. Uh, the Scottish pastor Patrick Fairbairn called it the whole scheme of doctrine and duty as taught by the Apostle. The whole scheme of doctrine and duty. So be strengthened, shake off laziness, actively pursue the Lord and the, the strength that comes by the grace that's in Christ and, and the, the scheme of doctrine and duty. I take that to be the entirety of the Christian life that you've heard from me in trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. He said it's to be in, that Timothy heard it in the presence of many witnesses. Uh, I don't take that to be an ordination service, like at our ordination ceremony, 
maybe when I laid hands on you, I think most likely it's the regular rhythm of everyday ministry in the presence of many witnesses, like what you've seen me do and say in the context of the, the church situations that we've been around or maybe on the field, but just as we've been around and part of public ministry, right? Take that and entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The, the central charge is, of course, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, what it means to be able to teach is a great mystery to me. I don't know exactly what that means. I, mean, I could say a lot of things about it, but what exactly is it that says that guy's able to teach and that guy's not? I mean, I know who I want to listen to, you know, but, but that's clearly something Timothy's to be looking for, men who will be able to teach others also. So that the point is clear, whatever exactly that means, the sustainability of Christian ministry requires Christians equipped for ministry, requires men equipped for ministry, requires pastors equipped for ministry. Paul is very interested in the sustainability of Christian ministry. He thinks about the next generation, doesn't he? Which that is interesting to me as well, because I read through the New Testament, and I'm blown away by the, the way the apostles uh, anticipated the imminent return of Christ and encouraged others to anticipate Christ's return. And yet that didn't keep Paul from working hard, laboring to ensure that the next generation would have men who were able to pass along that, that sound doctrine, that sound practice that he had received directly from the Lord that he'd given to Timothy, that Timothy was now to share with others. Paul, to the best of my knowledge, Paul decrees no system, no structure, no pattern, all permitted, right, structures, organizations, patterns, models, all permitted, but none of them required Again, the Scottish pastor Fairbairn wrote, external organizations are but the shell which may more or less fitly serve to guard and perpetuate the treasure. So the treasure is most fundamentally the gospel. It is this scheme of doctrine and duty. The treasure is what, 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 what he heard from Paul. It's the gospel that we perpetuate, the gospel we preserve, the gospel we promote. Whatever external organizations are created by us, by our churches to make that happen are really not the point. <clears throat> Clearly, the Spirit of God inspired Paul's concern for there to be a new generation of men who will rightly interpret and effectively communicate the Word of God. There are so many questions that I have about this that, 
I think other brothers will probably answer over the course of the next um, few hours into tomorrow. You know, what does it mean to be able to teach? How do, we, how do we find faithful men? How does one entrust the gospel to another? What structures best serve to meet that great and glorious end? But my concern in the limited time that I have with you, my concern is this. In seeking to raise up leaders, pastors, we often neglect first things assumed by Paul when penning 2 Timothy 2, 1-2. My argument. If you want to see pastors and elders raised up from within your congregation, then you should invite faithful men into your exemplary life. If you want to see pastors and elders raised up from within your congregation, and when I say within your congregation, I mean obviously brothers might come to your church and join your church, but you see what I mean. If you want to see these pastors raised up, then first things first, invite faithful men into your exemplary life. I've got two points. Invite faithful men in and pursue an exemplary life. Invite faithful men in. It appears to me that every generation leans into certain markers of success. When I first started going to large denominational meetings, the marker of success was the number of baptisms. Um, that hasn't really gone away, and boy, I, I want lots of baptisms. But that really was a, a very public marker. If there were many baptisms performed at your church, then you're doing something, something right. Uh, get my little time machine, you know, maybe 15, 16 years later, I'm going to the same large meetings, and what I'm observing is the, 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 the marker of success seems to have changed a little bit. Now it's the number of missionaries sent out. It's certainly wonderful, right? Like, just like lots of baptisms, lots of missionaries sent out. Um, I'm not eager to be part of a generation that simply creates another countable marker of success, the number of elders raised up. And I want elders raised up. I want to raise up elders. I just don't want to contribute to what I've witnessed over the, past, the last quarter of a century, where if this is happening, you must be doing a good job. There are better metrics of success, and I think this is one of them. So if you want to count, I would say maybe count this. The number of men invited into your life. The number of men invited into your life. The job of entrusting the Word of God to faithful men does not require a seminary or a, a pastor's college. No external organization is needed. What we do need is a pastor being strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, laboring to pass along the gospel to a faithful generation. Not all, so downer comment of the day, are you ready? Not all, perhaps not even most, of the men you invite in 
will wind up being able to teach or qualified for the eldership. A fisherman's net catches fast fish, like fast, healthy fish, and slow fish, and tin cans. Spend too much time looking for the perfect, and you will lose out on so much good. Some pastors will, in fact, build seminaries, pastors' colleges, and large internship programs. Praise God. I'm not going to use that as my metric of success. All of us must invite men into our lives. This is basic Christianity. Let me back that up. 1 Thessalonians 2.8 So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. I want you to notice in 1 Thessalonians 2.8, Paul's disposition to the church, they had become very dear to him. Just so dear, so precious to him. And Paul's relationship to the church. He's both a teacher and a friend. He taught the gospel, but he opened up himself to them. 1 Corinthians 6.11 We have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Our heart is wide open. That doesn't come naturally for me. Intensity comes naturally to me. Yeah, true, I mean, truthfully, um, a wide open heart, that's, I mean, if, if, if I've got any of that, it's a work of the Holy Spirit. I want to keep people away. That's an awful, awful attribute of a pastor. It is toxic for a pastor who might be used by God to raise up other pastors. So Paul demonstrates openness and vulnerability. Hebrews 3.13, but exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Right? The, the faithful put themselves into relationships where their rough edges will be smoothed out and their pride knocked down. Exhort one another every once in a while. Exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that your hearts may not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Inviting men into programs doesn't do that. I mean, just inviting a man into an internship program doesn't do that. It's an external organization. Inviting men in does do that. Most pastors who do a good job raising up pastors and elders, they live out these verses. Uh, I had the privilege a few weeks ago of being in, in Dubai and um, spending some time at what's now the uh, Evangelical Christian Church. They, the, the, the United Christian Church of Dubai just voted to change the name of their church to what it was when it was founded, the Evangelical Christian Church of Dubai. 
And um, anyway, so I was there. That's where a uh, dear friend, John Fulmer, pastors. And after the Sunday morning service, uh, we had lunch together with the elders. And, and Carrie Fulmer, his wife, observed that all these men had been discipled by John. He'd exhorted them every day, as long as it's called today. And now they're there, serving the church. Raising up the next generation of pastors begins with discipling the, the current generation of college students. So, <clears throat> it's important to acknowledge that 2 Timothy 2.2 calls for a degree of intentionality. It would be foolish to spend too much time with slow fish. You know, too much time with tin cans. Uh, I, I get that. We, we keep our eyes out for what our Australian friends call blokes worth watching. But my talk, so now I'm in pursuing exemplary life, my talk is really about, about first things, about being a bloke worth watching. All of us are eager to have a strategic, fruitful, productive ministry. We want to see pastors raised up from within our midst, um, a few weeks ago, a local pastor, it was Justin, those of you from Atlanta, asked me, you know, uh, you know, how do you find your interns? A few years ago, we started a pastoral internship program. Uh, look, guys, my inbox is not flooded with applications for interns. If you're looking, pillar guys, for like secrets of success, wrong guy. Uh, the guys, by and large, who have come through our internship program are people with whom we've had a long relationship with over the years. Uh, Zach was a member of our church years ago before going uh, with his brother Alex to plant a church in Winston-Salem. Our dear brother Nordine, Mount Vernon has known him for over a decade, and they're both here as, as interns. The vast majority have come from within the church through, or through close ministry relationships. Let me put it another way. The way most of us raise up the next generation of pastors and elders is simply by being faithful pastors and elders. Our exemplary life is the honey that invites the bee to the flower. The bee is the faithful man. The flower is pastoral ministry. So how you minister will help brothers consider whether they want to give more of their lives to protecting and promoting the gospel and shepherding the flock. So for me, uh, it's the uh, mid-90s, and I'm in D.C., and I'm reading Chuck Colson's book, The Body. And uh, believe it or not, that was my first introduction to ecclesiology, was The Body. I mean, I, went, I was converted uh, in the midst of a four-square church, if you've ever sung Shine, Jesus, Shine. Thank Jack Hayford and the Foursquare Movement. Uh, I, I attended, and I'm, I'm very loyal. I was at Beaverton Foursquare in Beaverton, pastored by the uh, number two Foursquare pastor, a guy by the name of Ron Mel. He wrote God Works the Night Shift and uh, died of leukemia uh, a number of years ago, but I, I went to his church. That's, I think, where God saved me after praying the sinner's prayer. I don't know how many times. Uh, I go off to college, uh, go Ducks, and um, I go to Faith Center. Now, my a future wife went to First Baptist Eugene. Look, as a very young believer, First Baptist Faith Center. Where do you want to go to church? 
I want to go to the center of faith. Uh, so, you know, I go there and I'm, 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 I'm wondering, uh, basically I don't have any ecclesiology, <laughs> but I, but, but my, uh, my resident director who was a Christian gave me Chuck Colson's book, The Body. I, I moved to DC shortly after graduating college. And, uh, one Sunday afternoon, I literally run into, uh, the Capitol Hill Metropolitan Baptist Church, a number of you here tonight uh, from, raised up in a ministry from that church. And uh, uh, I had never, and this was before Mark Dever was super famous. I think he might have always been famous, but this is certainly before he was super famous. And, um, and I, was, I was bowled away by, by Helen and Hardin Young, who invited me to their home to eat spaghetti. And I'd been a Christian for four years and had never been invited into somebody's home. Now, I wasn't like an exemplary, even church attender as a young believer, so let's not overdo it. I mean, I think a lot of that was my fault. But still, Helen and Hardin Young were very, very deliberate with, with me. Uh, Bruce Keithling at the time was a man who left the banking world to become a librarian. And uh, he was there every time the church doors were open. Now, so was Mark Dever, but Mark Dever was being paid. No one was paying Bruce. So I couldn't explain Bruce's presence at all these meetings, except he must really love Jesus. Now, I came to learn that Mark Dever loves Jesus too, but I was a very young believer putting all the pieces together. Here are church members loving me. Here are faithful young men prioritizing the assembly of the saints. And then lo and behold, uh, much as Zach Nelson you know, pointed out uh, his mentor and Dwayne Milioni, lo and behold, I see a pastor who uh, invites me into his life. And it turned everything upside down. There was no internship program. In fact, since I was there, I'll tell you, the way the internship program at Capitol Hill started was because a young man from England kept pestering Mark Dever, would you please have me over and teach me how to be a pastor? And so... We brought him over, and Carl Slezicek was the first and lone uh, intern at, at Capitol Hill. I fell in love with the church. And then I fell in love with pastoral ministry as modeled by a man who invited me into his life. So let me again put everything I'm saying still another way. Most of the training of future pastors and elders is organic some questions for you to consider. Do you show a genuine affection for Christ that would lead faithful men to conclude that shepherding will be a boon to their spiritual life? Is there a, is your, is your conversation flavored with the Lord? Like you actually love Jesus. Like not just when you're preaching, but just all the time. So that someone who is wondering, you know, is this something I should pursue? Are they going to see your life and go, wow, if that's what pastoral ministry produces, I mean, I want more of that. Do you show a genuine affection for the sheep that would lead faithful men to conclude shepherding is good work, a truly noble calling? As they observe your life and how you talk about your church, and how you talk about the sheep that have been entrusted to your care, would a young man looking at you going, wow, he really loves the sheep. This, this must be a noble calling. 
do you show a genuine joy in ministry that would lead faithful men to conclude shepherding is a first-class vocation? Now, I've got to be careful. I don't think being a pastor is, is better than not being a pastor. Uh, I, I, it, it's great. There's a lot of other things I'd like to do. There's nothing I'd like to do more than what I'm doing. And I would love the people around me to know, whether they want to be a pastor or not, that I know that what I'm doing is wonderful. Do you show a work-life balance in ministry that would lead faithful men to conclude shepherding isn't about sacrificing your family at the altar of ministry or sacrificing your ministry at the altar of family? Both of those, believe it or not, are possible. One more question. Do you show sufficient fruit in ministry that would lead faithful men to conclude shepherding is a powerful demonstration of the power of God's word? I know that the fruit is ultimately in the hands of the Lord. I do think men are wondering, you know, will this be not just a faithful life, but will it be a fruitful life? So how are you defining fruit? What are you elevating that's making a young man think, that's what I want to give my life to, to building? The Apostle Paul is obviously such a great example of this kind of attractive zeal for ministry that I'm talking about. I mean, what joy Paul had in the midst of incredible suffering. I and mean, he certainly had it more difficult than any of us. A man who followed Paul's example was a pastor by the name of Ignatius. He wrote a letter to a church about 15 miles uh, away from Ephesus. And it's, it's, a great, it's a great letter. And he encourages them to respect a young pastor by the, by the name of Damas. Ignatius wrote from prison, and his letter is filled with love. And for them, enjoy in ministry. This is what Ignatius wrote. When I heard of the disciplined way of life, your Christian love has taught you, it gave me much pleasure that I decided to address a few words to you in the faith of Jesus Christ. As I go about in these chains, invested with a title worthy of a God, I sing songs of praise to the churches, and I pray for their corporate as well as their spiritual unity, for both the gifts of Jesus Christ, our never-failing life. This is a man in love with Christ, a man in love with the church. He's the kind of man who will raise up faithful men who are able to teach. Invite men into your life, an exemplary life worthy of following. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your church is in your hands and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Father, we know that times like this are immensely important as we give deliberate thought and attention to the creation of external or internal organizations or programs that might be used by you to help us not have to reinvent the wheel every year. That's a good thing. We thank you for the wisdom and the ingenuity of other churches around us that we can learn from. But more than anything, as we prepare to spend so many hours together thinking about raising up, entrusting uh, the gospel to faithful men who will be able to teach others also, we pray 
that we would be the type of men who, regardless of our personality, find a way to invite men into our lives and by your grace who are living lives that are exemplary. We need you for this, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Baptist 21 podcast. To learn more about us, visit us at our website, baptist21.com. Also, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast with others. It would really help us out. If you ever have thoughts or ideas for future interviews, please reach out to us at our email, baptist21 at gmail.com. Again, thanks for listening to the podcast.